Sego, Sebo Guego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Venevery from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our new website at www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. This episode was recorded by telephone. In today's media, there is no shortage of headlines focusing on Indigenous people, places, and things. Whether we're talking about land, residential school, cosmology, fashion, or politics, Indigenous issues can be found at the forefront. Today's podcast guest is Kelly Butsalis, who is a journalist originally from Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Kelly has written about many Indigenous subjects, such as high tanning, Indigenous art, fashion, Indigenous star stories, and even podcasts hosted by Indigenous women. Oh, I see she wrote that in 2018 before the launch of this podcast. I would have loved to have participated. Kelly has written for a wide variety of publications, including Elle Canada, The Toronto Star, Walrus, Toronto Now, and Chatelaine, just to name a few. You can find all of her articles at her website, kellybutsalis.com, K-E-L-L-Y-B-O-U-T-S-A-L-I-S.com. Welcome to the Ohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is so great. I'm so excited to talk with you about your work. And um, we only have a short time with you because you're so busy, but let's get going. Um, let's talk about um, what got you interested in writing and journalism? Um, I think that I always wanted to be a writer. And so when I was a kid, I just always you know, wanted to get into it and thought, you know, one day I'd love to write a book. But then it got to the point of how do I make a career of this? Um, at one point after I came back from university, I wrote for the Tekka for a while. And then I wanted to jump to some um, larger publications because I really wanted to tell our stories, Indigenous people's stories, uh, on a broader level. So, I wound up coming to Toronto, taking a little bit more schooling for journalism and, um, yeah, more or less doing exactly what I set out to do, you know, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 15 years ago. Oh, wow. And, hey, we have that in common. We both worked at the Tekka. 
Yeah, the Tekawaniki, um, that's a Mohawk word for two voices. And that was a publication, our community newspaper at Six Nations for many years. I think it was it, it was over 60 years that publication was in existence. And I know a lot of um, the Indigenous writers in the community had worked there over the years, including us two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we learned a lot at the Tekka, didn't we? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, and then where where did you go from there? Where did you get your um, training in journalism? Uh, I went to Humber College. They had a postgraduate journalism course for two years. Um, mm-hmm. So I took it there. Um, and yeah, I jumped right into an internship right after that. Um, but that was, uh, that was a job where I was writing about the nonfiction television and film world, um, like a trade publication. And I was there for a while and I wasn't getting to tell those indigenous stories at all. And I realized after I had my second son and I just kind of took a gig on, on maternity leave and my first story was an indigenous story that that's actually what I wanted to be writing about. So I wound up not going back to that job, and I've been doing this ever since. So are you a freelance journalist? Yes, I am completely freelance. Oh, wow. That has its own challenges itself, doesn't it? But it also has its own <laughs> rewards. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, the rewards are that I have a flexibility Uh that's a huge reward. Um, I have two small children, so I'm able to do more with them, spend more time with them. But also it's that I get to tell these stories in a huge range of publications. I'm not tied to just one. And that's something that I really wanted to do is, you know, have our stories appear in publications that we're not normally there, particularly positive stories. That's a big focus of the work that I do is highlighting, um, you know, accomplishments of our people and all sorts of fields. And I just love the idea that, you know, somebody might be picking up a Chatelaine magazine, like an Indigenous person, and then they just happen to come across a story that I've written about Indigenous people. So, yeah, I think I veered off course from your question. But... <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're talking about rewards and challenges of being um, a freelance journalist. I guess the challenges are that, um, I don't know, I guess, I guess I get swamped at the beginning. I guess I got swamped in, in terms of finding a balance for how much stories I can take on and juggling, you know, work and life, home life balance. That was a challenge. Do you find that the mainstream media, as we call it, are they um, open more today to Indigenous stories? Absolutely. Um, You know, there's a lot of editors I work with who, you know, they want to tell our stories. They want to work with Indigenous journalists. And, you know, it's a slowly growing number of us. So I feel like that's why I keep winding up with them. But yeah, very receptive to our stories. They are, I think, finally recognizing that these stories need to be told and they need to be told by Indigenous journalists. And with editors, I've always been of the mind that um, all good writers have editors. 
<laughs> you know, editors are great, but and they're supposed to be teaching us something, right, through their work as editing. But also, do you find are you teaching them? I think so. Um, I am currently actually working as a guest editor for an all Indigenous issue for a Toronto publication called The Local, and I'm even finding acting as an editor and working with other editors is, you know, understanding, putting our languages in, in it. And, you know, how do we make sure we're doing it right? How do we make sure we're using the proper spelling, the proper phrasing, the proper use? Um, yeah, I hear from a lot of editors where they're coming back to me saying, oh, I don't know about this. Can you help guide me through it? So definitely it's, um, you know, it's an education level, um, educational relationship between the both of us. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and you've written about such a wide variety of topics. I know as a journalist um, in the work, you actually get to learn about a lot of things, a little about a lot of things, they say. <laughs> so what's some of the things that you've learned about through your work? Oh, my gosh. I've learned so much. Um, I think one of the, the more interesting things that I've recently learned was um, about our, our different star stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote about that for the, the Walrus, and that's actually nominated for an award, um, a writing award. So that's very exciting. But the act of learning from these people like Wilfred Buck, who is like the preeminent, you know, uh, Canadian, um, you know, star story keeper um, and educator. It's been an incredible learning about these stories that I don't remember learning about in school. And, you know, I went to school on reserve, but especially people off reserve definitely never heard these stories before. So getting to know about different um, types of star stories from different, like, uh, Anishinaabe stories are different than Haudenosaunee stories versus, you know, Inuit stories. So I've learned so much about that, and that's been very exciting. And I was doing a lot of stories um, about what life is like in up north. Um, and it's, you know, I've never traveled up there and I've never been to Nunavut. And, you know, I've been learning from so many people about what life is like for them. And it's, it's so interesting. And yeah, I love getting little snippets of all of these different worldviews and stories. Oh, yeah, for sure. And yeah, I'm familiar with Wilfred Buck. I think I was in a Zoom webinar with him um, last summer, I I believe. Um, let's talk about a little bit about um, what what do you what would you um, advice would you give young indigenous people if they want to travel this path of writing? Um, you know, people want to hear our stories. Uh, I definitely encourage uh, other Indigenous journalists to, or who are interested in becoming a, a journalist to get into this path. It is, um, I mean, you, you learn constantly and you're definitely learning from other communities. Um, 
I guess just keep an open mind and, you know, push forward because we are currently, you know, we have journalists at our level and at the editor level. And, you know, we still need a whole tide of Indigenous journalists coming behind us to also tell these stories and then move on from journalists to editors to working, you know, at those higher levels that we need our people in. Yeah, I remember... um Years ago, when I was a, a journalist and and um, going to the um, Indigenous journalism conferences and listening to um, a person that was actually a reporter at the New York Times, and I thought, wow, Indigenous people can work at the New York Times. I thought that was just incredible, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but we can. We can work anywhere, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you've written so many different things, and are you getting a lot of um, um, exposure to your work at your website, do you find? Yes. Usually, uh, sometimes I'll have stories shared. I mean, it's not just my website. It's, you know, um, social media like Twitter and Instagram. Those help to drive it. Um to my website. But yeah, I get a fair amount of people visiting and reading my stories there. Oh yeah, and and maybe commenting and leaving you leaving you some feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I I always forget about social media. I'm older, so <laughs> I mean <laughs> I think there's just websites, right? Right? But there's like Facebook and all of those kinds of things mm-hmm. that you use, I'm sure. Definitely, yes. Um I see you've written about um, the podcasting. I found that that story interesting, the women in podcasting. Can you tell me a little bit what you learned on that story? Well, I did write that many years ago, yeah. and there are so many more. Um, and actually, I am updating that. So. Oh, good. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a mention. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm new to the podcasting world. We started our podcast just um, last year, and so we this is our season two of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've, it's grown actually so much uh, since I wrote that, and I learned I that story started because I was listening to a few of these, you know, organically. They were so interesting to me and you know I live in Toronto now so I was getting it was kind of like connecting me back um to the reserve and I was getting to hear stories of our communities told by you know indigenous women and uh I learned there's so many more uh then that I couldn't even keep up with but I love that um a lot of these people who are starting the podcast are finding like a new way for storytelling and yeah that's what I found that I I feel like a lot of indigenous women are flocking to that medium because it's such a good place to put our voices and tell our stories oh yeah for sure and and we're really um I will I would say experts at it because of our our um culture of of oral storytelling you know we've Mm -hmm. always done that and it's all it's just in our in our blood yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I found that when I started too, it felt like that. It felt like it was um, very natural. 
a very natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else can we talk about? What do, what are some of the things you wanted to talk about on the podcast? Um, uh, I just feel like I'm super busy this month. So <laughs> yeah. I'm getting, because it is Indigenous History Month. And yeah. so I guess if any, you know, we can tell these stories. January to de- December. We don't need to cram them all in June. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, oh, everybody! Everybody wants you to work in June. <laughs> yes, that's what's happening. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I guess we need to, we need to do a little bit more educating then to the to the mainstream media. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. So have you done in your career, have you done any um, training type things in, in to um, Indigenous youth or anything like that? Um, I have done various um, uh, uh, journalism students um, conferences and then we would have time for one-on-one. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of them were Indigenous. No, I would love to. Um, there is uh, somebody who reached out to me via Instagram, and we have kind of a relationship where I help her out and I help her pitch. And um, so I guess in that sense, she is somebody that I mentor. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm I'm very open to helping other Indigenous journalists um, make connections or work on pitches and it's something that uh, you know I hope people will, will find me or reach out to me and I would, I would love to help them maybe oh, not in June but oh. maybe in July <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's wait till July what about yeah. I'm looking at your um, website now and and um, I'm noticing um, do you do any stories on um um, justice topics, because that's the field I'm in, right? And I always feel that there's so much going on in justice. Like there's there's high-profile cases all the time across the country. Um, do does that, does that topic interest you at all? It interests me, but I, if I were to take it on, I would want to have a huge focus on it like I feel like there's too much room for error there's no room for error sorry on Mm -hmm. stories like that um and so uh I'm a little afraid to tackle them because I am interested but I definitely don't want to do any disservice by taking on those stories Mm -hmm. um yeah I haven't really done too much in that in that space yet yeah and also you know those types of stories if they're a high profile case they do take a lot of time because they go on months and months right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah you have to kind of um, devote a lot of time to it but but really um uh stories that need to be told as well how indigenous people are are treated in the justice system and and their experiences while they're while they're going through that system Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I see you have, oh, you wrote a story on, um, on, and it, which included your daughter. Do you do that from time to time and in, include your children in your work? Yeah. I mean, sometimes when I need inspiration, it's just, 
my inspiration are usually sitting next to me on the couch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I was approached about doing a story about heirlooms and it made me think about how I was purchasing these like beautiful um, beaded jewelry. And, you know, these are, these are more or less the most expensive pieces that I own. And I, kind of had it in the back of my head that this is something I would pass on to my daughter. And so that became a whole piece. Um, and then there's stuff like, you know, my kids, a YouTube show that they watch. And I noticed that that person who makes the show hasn't been profiled. And I wind up, you know, selling a story on that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's stuff we watch together. It's, you know, just, just our daily lives. And I've also written about how after I had my my son, my second child, I had postpartum anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then that became a big story for today's parent where I was talking about uh, my experiences. And then it turned into a wider piece about um, mental health, postpartum mental health for Indigenous women. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, stories come from everywhere, particularly from these little guys who are with me. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And really, as a journalist, all you need to do is open your eyes in the morning and there's there's all kinds of inspiration Mm -hmm. because your brain thinks like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So when you write, do you... um, do you have a dedicated space where you write and, and what is it like in that space? I don't have a dedicated space. I, (laughs) I have the laptop and I'm kind of moving from spot to spot wherever I can find quiet. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's more or less where, wherever I can get the work done. Um, Yeah. And Mm -hmm. there's no set time like I know a lot of people who write only in the mornings or you know have you know their when their creativity is going the most but mine is basically whenever I can squeeze it in (laughs) (laughs) wow that's part of being a mom (laughs) (laughs) yes literally making lunch and then you know working on some edits at the same time oh yeah for sure you're you're a multitasker journalist Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, that's it. So into as you've kind of um, been in your career now, building your career for a while, what would you say is the is the um, temperature? I guess I don't even know if that's the right word. What is the? um, uh, Well, that's the only word I can think of right now. What's the temperature of of how? Indigenous journalists are treated in the industry. I think that particularly working with non-Indigenous editors, they, um, they're coming from a place of respect and wanting to work with us in a good way as much as possible. Um, I find that telling our, you know, they understand that these stories should be written by Indigenous people for the most part, The mm-hmm. you know, the people that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a good space right now. Um, that's why I would love more Indigenous journalists. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's an it's an excellent time to be an Indigenous writer right now. And do you find that it's gotten better since you started? Like it wasn't always this great. I, or, I or, know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think at the time that I started specifically just freelancing, that already the tide had been turning. That yes, we we need more Indigenous content. Um, maybe right when I was out of, you know, journalism school, that wasn't exactly the case. But, you know, there's a lot of um, people before me who have knocked down a lot of doors to allow this space to be what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned earlier that you thought maybe you would write a book. Is that still um, uh, on your mind? And what kind of book would it be? I know. So the thing is... <laughs> I have an idea and I have been approached by, um, you know, various publishers, which I feel is a rare, (laughs) I feel like that doesn't normally happen. But um, the one that I want to make is about, um, I would love to write a biography of um, another Indigenous um, writer. Mm-hmm. from the from the 70s I, I feel like this this person is very interesting and there isn't a lot of work on them but yeah I mentioned that to somebody someone who was interested in um maybe working with me but they weren't quite interested at that time but I don't know I'm, I'm not in a space yet where I can write a full book I'm yeah. definitely t- too busy for that but yeah mm-hmm. I would still have my eye on it you know down the road writing uh, a biography that I could dedicate a lot of time to that would be exciting well that's uh, that sounds wonderful and something that we can all be waiting for (laughs) 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 for your book when it finally comes out yeah well anything else you'd like to share with us um mm, no I guess more or less um that you know you have my you mentioned my website and if you go to my website there's a little at um symbol and that's how you can email me if anybody has any questions I would love to help other indigenous journalists kind of find their way um I guess yeah that's it oh great well, I want to say Yahweh Goa for being with us today and sharing so much of your experience as a journalist and and um, the work that you've done. It's just amazing. Um, someone can go to your website and they can be entertained for hours reading and, and educated reading all the stories that are there. <laughs> I hope so. Okay. So today, Yahweh Kelly and Onigiwahi. Today's guest on Yohate Negasuna Road to Your Name podcast has been Kelly Bootsalis, a journalist from Six Nations of the Grand River. Yahweh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasuna The Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Van Every. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. 
If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our new website at www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word donate located on the bottom of the page of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Yeah.